I invite you to please get your Bibles and turn them to the book of Acts, and we will read Acts chapter 7, beginning with verse 54, ending with verse 60. Let's hear God's word. This is about the stoning of Stephen. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. And he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And, he had, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, for our text in uh, this afternoon's message, uh, we will uh, read Hebrews 7, verse 25. Hebrews 7, verse 25. Just one verse. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Let's hear God's word. Consequently, he, that is Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. May the Lord Bless the reading of his holy, infallible word and apply it to our hearts. Uh, Boys and girls, you may recall that this past Thursday, we commemorated the ascension of Jesus Christ. That 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God, His Father. We confess this when we recite the Apostles' Creed. On the third day, He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, He will come to judge the living and the dead. Christ's ascension is one of the elements of the gospel. Uh, there are six elements, basically six elements of the uh, gospel. The birth of Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension, and His second coming. And I think of all the Six elements of the gospel, the most neglected one is the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, without the ascension of Jesus Christ, the gospel is not complete. The gospel is not good news. The ascension of Christ is so significant because it tells us that His redemptive work on earth was done. And that's why we read in Mark chapter 16, verse 19, 
So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven. And what did Jesus do? As soon as he was taken up into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, you might wonder, why did Jesus sit? As soon as he was taken up into heaven, why, why did Jesus sit? Now, boys and girls, you may notice this from your, let's say from your parents, especially from your mothers. They love to work in the kitchen. Your, your mom, for sure, loves to work in the kitchen. And maybe you, you tell your mom, Mom, why don't you sit? And then she might say to you, Oh, I would love to sit, but I'm not yet done with my work. As soon as I am done doing the dishes or cleaning, cleaning this and that, then I'm going to sit. And so when your mom sits, it's an indication that her work has been completed. And the same is true. Jesus sat at the right hand of God the Father Almighty to show to you and me that His work on earth, His redemptive work on earth was done. Was done. And what was His work? Well, His work was twofold. The first aspect of His redemptive work was to keep God's law perfectly to fulfill all the requirements of the law for your righteousness and for my righteousness that we so need without, without which no one can stand before a just and holy God. So Jesus kept God's law perfectly to secure that righteousness. But He also paid the penalty of our disobedience namely death for the wages of sin is death and that's why he died on the cross of calvary to pay the penalty of our sin and once he completed his work he ascended to heaven and he sat at the right hand of god the father Almighty. And so we have that imagery given to us that right now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But lest we think that he is, the, he is just there sitting and doing nothing, we need to realize that although Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, he is very much involved in the life of his church. In fact, he ascended to intercede for us from heaven. And this is our theme in this message, that Jesus ascended to heaven to intercede for us. And we're going to use Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, as we consider this uh, theme. And I'll give you three observations about his intercessory work. I'll give them all to you now. They all uh, start with letter E, so you can easily remember them. Christ's intercessory work, or his intercession is, first of all, exclusive. Exclusive. Second, it is efficacious. I'm going to explain that big word, uh, boys and girls, efficacious. And finally, his intercession or his intercessory work is enduring. Enduring. So let's consider our first observation that his intercessory work is exclusive. Now, look at our text again, Hebrews 7, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him 
since he always lives to make intercession for whom? For them. For them. Or on behalf of them. So the question is this, who are they? Who are they for whom Christ is interceding? Well, we have the answer right there in our text. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. Who are those drawing near to God through Jesus Christ? Well, they are God's people, believers in Christ. In short, Jesus is interceding for His people, for those who believe in Him. In uh, John chapter 17, where we find the uh, great intercessory prayer of Christ, uh, we read this. Oh, I love this prayer by Jesus. If, if you want to capture the prayer life of Jesus, read John 17. In verse 9, Jesus prays to his Father. And listen to his prayer here. I am praying for them, for his disciples. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Imagine this. Jesus is not praying for the world. And the word world here refers to the wicked. And ultimately, of course, to the reprobates. Jesus is not praying for them. He is only praying for those whom the Father has given Him. He is only praying for you and for me, children of God. And so His intercessory prayer is exclusive. Now, is Jesus selfish? No. No, he's only concerned with his people, with his chosen ones, with the elect, with his church, with his bride. And he's interceding for them. And, and the idea of intercession here in our text has this, this concept of, of begging, entreating, appealing, you can, you can picture Jesus as He is sitting at the right hand of His Father. He is appealing to Him, begging His Father on your behalf, on my behalf. And He's doing so on the basis of His finished work on the cross. Like the uh, high priest in the Old Testament, uh, we read in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7, uh, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins. So, boys and girls, in the Old Testament, once a year, the high priest would come into the holy of holies, the inner sacred sanctuary of the tabernacle where God's presence appeared. And, and this high priest would not enter that, that holy of holies without the blood of an animal. And, and he, he, he would enter that place on behalf of, of God's people. He was interceding for them. And then the author of Hebrews says, Hebrews 9 verse 24, For Christ has entered not into holy places, made His hands, which are copies of the true things, because the tabernacle is just a copy of the true thing, of, of the reality of heaven, so Christ has not entered into holy places made with hands, 
which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. When He ascended to heaven, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And that's what Jesus is doing right now. He, he appears before the very presence of our Heavenly Father. And, and he, is, he is pleading on our behalf. Father, I'm praying for my people, for my bride, for my church. And so here we, we, we see that Jesus is actively involved in the life of His church. His physical absence does not mean that He is not engaged in us. Just as when we have members, elderly members of our congregation who can no longer join us in our uh, church activities, for sure you have shut-ins. They cannot attend a Bible study. They cannot attend your prayer meeting, worship service. But it doesn't mean that they cannot be involved in the life of your congregation because they can still pray. You know, what I find fascinating is that whenever I visit our shut-ins, like I, I, I visited one of our members in, in her 90s, early 90s, and she, she told me that she, she, she prays a lot for our church. Now, I don't have the uh, same amount of time that, that she has. She can pray for three hours, four hours. I don't have that time. I have five small kids. I, I do other things. Of course, I pray. But she can pray more. And what she's doing is, is a critical aspect of, 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 of the life of the church, ministry of the church, praying for, for our church. And that's what Jesus is doing. You may not see Jesus because He ascended to heaven. Yes, He is sitting, but it doesn't mean that He's doing nothing. He is praying for us. He's praying for us. And He's praying specifically for our protection, our preservation. And that's what we see in His uh, priestly prayer in John chapter 17, uh, verse 11. Look at, look at John 17, verse 11, where Jesus prays to His Father, Holy Father, keep them in Your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. And then verse 15, keep them from the evil one. This is, this is, the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is praying that you may be kept from Satan who is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You see, left to ourselves, we are no much to Satan. Satan is too strong for us. We need the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a comfort it is for us to know that our great high priest, the ascended king, Lord Jesus, is praying for our protection and preservation. If you ask me this afternoon, how do I know that I will be able to reach the celestial city? How do I know that I'm going to see Jesus someday face to face? How do I know with full assurance that I will go to heaven and be with Jesus forever? How do I know that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? How do I know that? The answer is not because you are praying for me. 
It's not because I'm praying for myself. The answer is because Jesus is praying for me. He's praying for me that I may be kept from the evil one. And then verse 17, Jesus adds this prayer, sanctify them in the truth. Here is Jesus begging his father, entreating his father, Father, sanctify my people in the truth. And what is the essence of sanctification? But conformity to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't it that that's the grand goal of redemption? Jesus did not just save us to bring us to heaven. No, the the ultimate goal of, of redemption is that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That we might be like Jesus. That is the meaning of sanctification. And Jesus is praying that for us. Now, when you look at me, you see all my, my spiritual spots, my spiritual flaws, and you have your own too, if you are honest with yourselves. But we know that Jesus is praying for our sanctification. You may not be concerned with your own sanctification, but there is someone praying for your sanctification. You may not realize the importance of your sanctification, of, of, of being conformed to, to the image of Jesus Christ, but there is someone right now praying for your sanctification. And yes, Christian life can sometimes be discouraging. We continue to struggle with sin. And when, when you sin and, 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 yeah, you ask for forgiveness and, and the Lord will forgive you and then you sin again and, and you keep doing that, of course, God does not get tired of forgiving us, but it can be very discouraging sometimes to the point that you, you feel so dirty that you don't even want to, to come to the Lord's table, to, to commune with God, to dine with, with, with Jesus at His table. Oh, but we have Jesus praying for us. Yes, Satan, Satan is always there to, to, to bring charge against us. Oh, Satan loves to do that. To accuse us. He's the great accuser. He will tell you, look at yourself. You are an elder. You're a deacon. You're a pastor. A Bible study leader. You are a hypocrite. You just sinned a little while ago. And you're going to stand before God's people to tell them about God's word? Satan loves to accuse us. Oh, but we can say to Satan, Satan, I have Jesus praying for me, for my sanctification. Romans 8 verses 33 and 34 says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Robert Murray McShane once said, I am often tempted to say, how can this man save us? He's referring to Jesus. How can Jesus save us? He is in heaven. He's too far from me. How, how, how can he be concerned with me? How can Christ in heaven deliver me from lusts which I feel raging in me and nets I feel enclosing me? Ah, this is the father of lies again. He is able to save unto the uttermost. Um, Robert Murray McShane is, is quoting our, our uh, passage in Hebrews 7 verse 25. I ought to study Christ as an intercessor. He prayed most for Peter, who was to be most tempted. I am on his breastplate. And then McShane added this. 
If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million of enemies, yet the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. He is praying for me. You may not hear the voice of Jesus right now praying for you because of the distance, but it doesn't matter. Because his word says he is praying for us. And only for us, believers in Christ. Because his intercessory work is exclusive. He's not praying for the entire world, but only for those whom his father has given him. Now, second observation about his intercession. His intercession is efficacious. Now, that big word, boys and girls, simply means that when Jesus prays, his prayer will always be answered. His prayer is effective, effectual. His prayer will always be heard by his Father. There is no uncertainty when Jesus prays. There is no perhaps or maybe in the prayer of Jesus Christ. When Jesus prays to his Father, the response of his Father is always yes, yes, yes. Of course, when Jesus was crucified on the cross of Calvary, he prayed to his Father. He cried out. We read that in Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2. This messianic psalm. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? This is Jesus. This is the Son of God praying to His Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry day by day, by day, but you do not answer. Imagine that. Jesus, the Son of God, prayed to His Father, but His Father did not answer Him. His Father gave Him absolute silence. Absolute silence. Why? Because of your sin and my sin. Because at that very moment, Jesus was, was carrying our sin. He bore our sin. And when, when, when God the Father looked at His Son at that very moment, all that the Father saw in His Son was our sin. That sin that was imputed to His Son. And so God could not answer the cry of His own beloved Son. Imagine being rejected. Boys and girls, imagine. Let's say you are, you are suffering. You are probably in, 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 uh, in the hospital. And, and you are asking for help. Help, help, help. And no one is helping you. No one. But you see, after His resurrection, all the prayers of Jesus will be answered. No more denial. Jesus ascended to heaven and now is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. There is no more separation between the Father and the Son because there is no more sin. Whereas at the cross of Calvary, that sin separated His Son from His Father. That's why God the Father had to forsake His Son because of that sin. But now there is no more sin existing between the two. The work of Jesus was done. 
And therefore, when Jesus prays to His Father, His Father not only hears that prayer, that petition, but He is delighted to grant that petition. And this is our comfort. I know, I know that I'm not going to lose my salvation because Jesus is praying for me that I may not be lost. You know, we also do the ministry of intercession, by the way. We Christians, and we should be doing that. When I pray for you, I'm praying on behalf of you. That's intercessory work. You do the same. You pray for me. And I hope you don't just pray for yourself. You also pray for others. But let's admit this. That our intercessory prayer is not always efficacious. When you come to me and when you ask me to pray for you, I can say to you, although I don't do it, I can say to you, I would love to pray for you. But I want to let you know that there is no guarantee that when I pray for you, that my prayer will be answered by God. Because my prayer in and of itself is not efficacious. It's not effectual. First of all, I don't know the heart of God. I don't know the, 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 the very mind of God. I don't know perhaps... I'm asking for something that's not part of God's eternal decree, whereas Jesus knows His Father perfectly. We don't have that kind of knowledge. And therefore, when we pray, there is, there is no guarantee that our prayer will always be answered. Oh, but when Jesus prays, we know that His prayer will always be answered by His Father. And therefore, when Jesus prays for our sanctification, it will happen. When Jesus prays that we may become like Him, conformed to His image, it will happen. It will happen, of course, when He returns, according to John the Beloved, when we see Jesus, we will be like Him. What a, what a blessing. And that's why this is the source of my assurance of salvation. How do I know that I will never be lost eternally? Because Jesus is praying for me. And when he prays, his prayer will be answered. Third observation about his intercessory work. It is enduring. Where, where, where did we get that idea? Let's go back to our passage, our text, Hebrews 7, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Listen now, please. Since he always lives. To make intercession for them. Since he always lives. And since Jesus always lives. He will always intercede for us. Now, we parents. We intercede for our children. We pray for them. We pray for their salvation. We pray that at their young age, they may experience the joy of salvation. We pray for them daily, regularly. But here's a, a, a sad reality. We cannot always be praying for them because when we die, that's it. We cannot pray for them anymore. You husband, you, you pray for your spouse, for your wife. And you, and you wife, you pray for your husband. But when you die, you stop praying for your loved one. Because you don't always live. 
It is appointed to man once to die. After that judgment. But we have Jesus. The ascended great high priest. He ever lives. He does not die. Yes, he died once. But he rose again from the dead. And after that, no more dying. No more dying. And of course, we don't embrace the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church that you can actually ask the uh, departed saints for their intercession. Like Mary. I, I remember when I was in the Philippines, uh, growing up as a Roman Catholic, I remember we would pray this Hail Mary, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Pray for us sinners. Mary, Mother of God. No, M Mary cannot pray for you. Once, once you die, that's it. That's why, while, while we're still alive, let's, let's take advantage of this ministry, this intercessory prayer. Parents, let's pray now with all our heart, mind, and soul. Let's pray now for our children. Let's pray now for others. Nevertheless, we have Jesus. Whoever lives, He always prays for us. Luke chapter 24, verses 50 and 51. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. He blessed his disciples. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. What, what a great imagery of, of our ascended great high priest. As, as, as he was carried up into heaven, his, his hands, his hands were, 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 were lifted up to, to bless his disciples. And you, you could picture Jesus with those hands lifted up, blessing constantly because he ever lives. He is blessing constantly his church. And the truth is we may not be, be always aware of that. Sometimes we, we tend to forget that Everything that we enjoy here is, is, is flowing out of that, of, uh, of that benediction of the Lord Jesus Christ. You could imagine Jesus pronouncing the ironic benediction, The Lord bless you. My Father bless you. Keep you. The, the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. This is the prayer of Jesus, the great high priest. The Lord bless you, bless you. And so boys and girls, that food that you ate before you came to church, that was an answer to that prayer. When someone gets converted, that's an answer to the Lord's prayer. He's praying, he's praying. He's praying, hallelujah, what a great high priest we have. And of course, his intercessory prayer will not stop until he returns. Why is it so? Look at John 17. What is the goal, what is the very goal of his intercessory prayer? John 17, again, this is the prayer of Jesus, verse 24, John 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, listen up please, may be with me where I am, to see my glory. This is ultimately the goal of his intercessory work. Jesus is praying that we may be with him where he is to see, to behold his glory. 
And therefore, when Jesus returns, there will be no more need for that kind of prayer because we will be with Jesus, beholding His glory. So in that sense, His intercessory work will stop. Will stop. And by the way, I love this prayer. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. Do you know the implication of this prayer? When you die as a believer in Christ, that's actually an answer to his prayer. When I die, you can say, the Lord answered the prayer of Jesus. That I am now with Him, beholding His glory. This implies too that Jesus is eagerly waiting for His people. Jesus, the ascended Lord, is, is so excited to be with His bride. The bridegroom cannot wait to to. to to be with, with, with His bride forever and ever and ever. That's why sometimes Jesus is depicted as standing at the right hand of God when a Christian dies. We read that passage. If you want, go back to Acts chapter 7 about Stephen. Acts chapter 7, verse 54 now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. Acts chapter 7. And they ground their teeth at him. Verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, listen now please. This is very critical. Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, you might wonder, wait a minute. Is there a conflict here? Because e elsewhere, we just read that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. But now, here in Acts 7 verse 55, Stephen saw Jesus is standing, not sitting, but is standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man, again, standing at the right hand of God. Now, why standing? Well, let me ask you this question. If one of your friends, one of your relatives, one of your loved ones, whom you have not met, seen for years, let's say 15 years, is coming to visit you. Will you anticipate his coming or her coming sitting? Will you not stand while you while you wait for your friend at the door like so excited? Like you 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 can't even wait like wow Finally, we're going to meet again. It's been a while. Like, you're excited. Well, if you're just sitting like this, what a dry way to welcome your, your friend whom you have not met, seen for years. And so when, when Stephen was being stoned, about to die, Jesus could not wait for him. Jesus was standing, no more sitting, but standing, eagerly anticipating the arrival of his brother, Stephen. Stephen, I cannot wait to be with you. I want to be with you. He's excited. And, and that's a picture of Jesus when we are dying. Our loved ones, of course, are crying. They are grieving, right? They are about to lose us. But Jesus is so excited. I can't wait. He's standing. About to hug us. And welcome us.
But of course, the description of Christ standing at the right hand of God also shows Christ's deep concern for, for Stephen. His deep concern. Let me give you an example. Now, boys and girls, let's say you, you are at the park with your parents. Now, usually, we bring you to the park so that we can rest. So we can sit. You guys play swing or whatever you want to do and your parents usually will just sit watching watching you now if there is a danger let's say there is a kidnapper over there about to to kidnap one of your children will you remain sitting will you say oh there's a kidnapper he's going to kidnap my child no you will stand you will stand to show your your deep concern for your children and again, that's a picture that we have here in Acts chapter 7. Jesus is so concerned with Stephen that he could no longer sit. He had to stand because he was seeing what was happening to his brother. He died for Stephen. He redeemed Stephen, part of his bride. You think Jesus is not concerned with us? He is. When you read about the persecution of Christians in the Middle East, in, in North Korea, in Nigeria, Christians are being slaughtered like chickens. You can picture Jesus no longer sitting but standing to show His concern for us. To show that, that he is there to, to, to make sure that Satan cannot take us away from him, from his presence. As Jesus said, no one can pluck them out of my hand. No one can snatch them. All my, all my redeemed people are secured in my hand. You dare not touch them. I am here to defend my bride, defend my church. I am standing. And you know what's fascinating too? Is that as Stephen was about to die, he gazed into heaven. Look at verse 54 or verse 55. And then what did he see? He saw the glory of God. And that's an answer to the prayer of Jesus. In John 17, remember his prayer? Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. Stephen saw that glory. Don't you want to see that glory? Are we not tired of seeing mess in this world? When you look around, you see evil, you see wickedness. But someday we will see the glory of Jesus Christ. And as Paul says, Romans 8 verse 17, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us someday. You see, that's, that's the connection. I don't know what kind of affliction you have right now, what kind of trial, what kind of suffering. Maybe you have cancer, chronic pain. Maybe you have just lost your loved one. Maybe you have a marital problem, a problem within your family. Whatever it may be, Paul says, it is not worthy to be compared to that glory that shall be revealed in us someday when we see Jesus face to face. When his prayer is answered, we will be with him and we will behold his glory. Now you ask me about this glory. I don't know much about this glory. But one thing I know is that my suffering right now is not worth comparing to that glory. I want to see that glory. Just to see the glorious face of Jesus. To be able to hug Him and kiss Him. The one who died for me at Calvary. That's enough for me. That is glory for me. And so as I end this message, 
I want to challenge you with love by asking you this question. Do you have this ascended Christ as your great high priest? Do you have Jesus as your intercessor? Do you have that full confidence? You know that you have Jesus praying for you so that you can go to bed peacefully. You can close your eyes because you know that even when you are sleeping, someone is constantly, unceasingly praying for you. If Jesus is not your great high priest, really, all that you have in this world is misery. Someone said, for most of us, using a password to gain access to something is a daily reality. We use passwords to log on to computers or to withdraw money from our bank accounts. Life can get a bit complicated when we forget these passwords. In a certain sense, and reverently speaking, Jesus is like our password to gain access to God. Without Jesus, you have no access to heaven. And the good news is, Jesus can be yours this afternoon. He can be yours by faith. Let us pray. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you so much for your word, for comforting us and challenging us. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you for your intercessory work for us. Thank you that you are praying for us. What a, what a comfort, what a joy that is to know. And help us also to have that longing to be with you, to behold your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.